You know, when you have spiritual discernment, you can look at circumstances and you can see things. Now, you may ignore your discernments. You may turn it off. You may try to act like you don't see what's there, but it's there whether you acknowledge it or not. And sometimes by ignoring what you saw, come back later to haunt you. It's like, man, I should have listened to my first mind. Thankfully, he worked all things together or work all things out together for our good. He could take messes we made and clean them up. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the gospel according to John. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Jehovah's laws are given by Jehovah. His laws are in the Bible. Pharisee laws are contained in their writings, such as the Talmud. There are also the laws of the Sadducees that are contained in their writings. When Yeshua said, beware of the leaven, he was speaking of the leaven of the teachings. Yeshua also said, beware of the leaven of Herod. In the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and throughout the book of Acts, there were four different Herods. The Herods were representatives of the Roman government. It is not a sin to violate man-made or Jewish laws. Secular judges do not send people to jail because they sin against God. Judges send people to jail because they commit a crime. Sin is the transgression of Jehovah's law given by Jehovah and written in the Bible. The message titled in this podcast is Jehovah's Law, Jewish Law, and Sin. So, let's study. If you are ready, and even if you're not, <laughs> hallelujah, let's go forward. In the teaching today, we're going to look at Jehovah's Law, Pharisee, religious, and man-made laws, and sin. And right off the bat, I want to establish that Jehovah's Laws are given by Jehovah, and we find his laws in the Bible. Now, that's important going forward. Pharisee laws were given by the Pharisees and contained in their writings. And many of these writings find their way in what we know as the Talmud. There's a bunch of different books that people have a tendency to quote from and to read from. There are many, many traditions that people apply and associate in their lives. And these laws are contained in their various volumes. If you go to yeshiva, if you go to a synagogue, you'll find uh, that they uh, have books and materials and traditions that are part of the actual service where you'll have individuals that are praying from prayer books reading certain passages based on the particular day. And those are the kinds of things that you'll find in the Talmud. And yet there are the laws of the Sadducees. The laws of the Sadducees were contained in their writings. And so when Yeshua said, beware, 
beware of the leaven. The leaven that he was speaking of was teachings. The disciples got the impression that he was speaking about bread, but he wasn't speaking about bread. He was speaking about the teachings and he identified three specific groups at the time, though there were more. He identified the Pharisees. And what we know today is that the Pharisees were denominational, just like you can say the Baptists. Now, if somebody say they are a Baptist, then your response would be, should be, well, what Baptist tradition? Because there are a variety of Baptists. In my hometown, there were missionary Baptists. There were American Baptists. There were Southern Baptists. And all three of these Baptists had three distinct forms of traditions that would show themselves in the order of service. Even in what we know as some of the announcements, who could speak the announcements. I was part of a church to where women couldn't come up on the pulpit. They would be used to make announcements, but their announcements would be done from a podium that was down on the floor, not up where the ministers and the sacred desk was. There were missionaries. Missionaries could teach. They could teach other women. They could teach missionary classes. They could teach Sunday school, but they certainly couldn't teach from the main sacred desk during the weekly gatherings. And then we find that Methodists, there's different Methodists. I was surprised to find that there were a variety of different Catholics and different orders of Catholics and different orders of nuns and different orders of priests. But you hear the term Catholic and you think singular when there's a plurality of Catholics. And so the Sadducees didn't have the denominational belief systems as the Pharisees did because the Pharisees followed the tradition of the Pharisees and established synagogues and different synagogues had different leaders who had different philosophies. The Sadducees, because they were mainly responsible for the temple service, had issues going on in the temple. And so Yeshua said, beware of the leaven of who? The Pharisees. Beware of the leaven of the Sadducees. The fact that the Sadducees had leaven suggests that the people now were under certain types of Pharisee influence when they went into or up to the temple. And then he said these things. He says, beware of the leaven of Herod. Now, those of you who know the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and throughout the book of Acts, there were four different Herods. There was Herod the Great, Herod Antipas, Herod Agrippa, and Herod, there was another Herod, Tetriarch, the Tetriarch, Herod Tetriarch, yeah. So you had four different Herods over the course, and they were the Herodians. They were the government. They represented the government, just as we have the government that we have to deal with today. And I say that because it's important because 
you got religious laws. Religious laws are made up by denominations. And these are the denominations of men. Again, in my hometown, we had Baptists, various Baptists. There were various Pentecostals, the Apostolics, the PAWs, the Pentecostal Assemblies of the World, the Church of God in Christ, and other types of Pentecostal assemblies. And there were Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, they didn't have a variety of beliefs. They were simply Jehovah's Witnesses. But then you had Seventh-day Adventists. And even in my day growing up, you had the Seventh-day Adventists that followed the teachings of Ellen G. White. You had the Seventh-day Adventists that denounced the teachings of Ellen G. White. And some Seventh-day Adventists that was a combination. You confront them on the issue of Ellen G. White and, and they wouldn't necessarily deny or denounce, but wouldn't necessarily embrace. And then you had the Mormons and the variety of, of Mormons that were going on. But these gentlemen were generally, and they were gentlemen. Today, you still don't see women, <laughs> Mormons going from door to door. But there are women Jehovah's Witnesses going from door to door. And these things are representative of their traditions. But if you didn't know this, if you grew up in a singular denomination, you wouldn't know the variety of differences that there were. And because I've been called through a variety of different denominations and have had to go through their systems to be recognized as a teacher, ordained as an elder, ordained as a pastor in some of them, you come to realize that there are books that are besides the book. So you have the book that is preached on, but then you have the book of government that the denomination operates. And so these are the points of order, the constitution and bylaws. Constitution and bylaws don't come up on Sunday morning, but they certainly come up in the deacons meetings. They come up in the elders meetings. They come up in the Senate, whereas each year or every quarter, when they are making decisions that are denominational wide and they send delegates up to the big meeting that is held to determine the change of law or continuing in the same manner and addressing particular issues that now gets published in the book. And I was part of a, a denomination, man, that on the law, on the book, there was a, a law going all the way back into the 1800s. <laughs> and here I am part of this denomination, and I'm acknowledging that I'm called to be an apostle and write a book on Sunday is not the Sabbath. And didn't even realize that I was violating some synod rule. <laughs> yeah. And so you got religious laws, which are made up by denominations of men and contained in their writings. When I was in the Lutheran, we had the canons of Dort. When I was in the Christian reform, we had the um, other canons. You had the 
catechisms, the large catechism, the small catechism. You had Luther's Book of Concords. I mean, you there's all of these rules and regulations that denominational leaders have to abide by that the people in the congregation are totally oblivious to. But those are the writings that is not in the book, but supposedly came from the book. And then there are man-made laws. Man-made laws are given by the county, the city, the state, the federal legislative branches of government and executed by judicial branches of government and enforced by law enforcers. Today, there are people who associate breaking the laws of men as sin. It is not a sin to violate man-made laws. Depending on the law of man, its violation could be deemed a crime, but not a sin. Judges do not send people to jail because they commit sin. If that was the case, (laughs) we'd all be locked up. Seriously, the judges too. So they don't send people to jail because they commit a sin. Judges send people to jail because they commit a crime. Driving over the speed limit is not a sin. It's a violation of the speed law, but it's not a sin. And if you get caught, you'll get a ticket, but it's not a sin. You're not violating any command by speeding, but you are violating the laws of men. Sin is a transgression of Jehovah's law given by Jehovah and written in the Bible. First John three defines it. Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law and sin is the transgression of the law. Now, John is not writing about Roman law. He's not writing about Greek law. He's not even writing about Pharisee law or Sadducee law. Sin is a violation of the law of Jehovah. So let's begin here in John chapter five. I wanted to lay that out so you know where we're going as we go through John chapter five. And for those of you who are joining us for the first time, we're going through the gospel of John. Now on our website, matter of fact, I think this would be a good time to point out that we have several different books of the Bible that we've actually taught in their entirety. And you can find them if you were going to the teaching and then there are categories. This is on the website, arthurbaileyministries.com. And if you go to the books of the Bible, you'll notice that we have done complete series on the Acts of the Apostles, 1 John, 1 Peter, 1 Timothy, 2 John, 2 Peter, All of these books of the Bible, we have gone through verse by verse each chapter. And now we are going through the book of John on our Sabbath services. And we're going through the book of Genesis in our Thursdays searching the scriptures. And right now we are up to Genesis chapter number 17. And so this is going through the books of the Bible because ultimately what we're going to do is that by the end of this year or the beginning early of next year, we're going to be launching our Hebrew Roots University. 
We have an accredited institution that will be people can earn their associate's degree uh, in biblical studies, their bachelor's degree, their master's degree, and their doctorate degree in biblical studies. And so we're going to go through all the books of the Bible. Eventually, we're going to get there. And these will be taught in the university. We already have all of the curriculum for all of these degrees. We've got all of them. We're establishing electives and all of that, but it's taking time to get this material in the proper format where we're going to have our online institution. So it's happening and we're slowly getting there. And so I'm saying this because part of our mission and my calling is recognizing that we have to lay the foundation of the faith that is taught for generations to come. Now, I'm one who believe that Messiah can come back at any moment. But how many of you know, we've been here 2000 years since he ascended. And though he can come back any moment, there's the possibility he won't be coming back today. Now, if he do come back today, I encourage you to be ready. Because <laughs> you don't really know. No man knows the day of the hour. But at the same time, planning and laying down the foundation for future generations is something that we are focusing on while living our lives today as if today could be the last day. Amen. So for those of you who did know, now you know we've got this material on our website. Amen. So John chapter five, verse one. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Yeshua went up to Jerusalem. This is one of those unnamed feasts in the Bible. It's not named. So at best to try to identify it or say it was added is speculation because we don't know. Some teachers have made the mistake of dealing with John as if it was written in chronological order when John is not written in chronological order. John stated twice himself that all the things Yeshua did was not recorded. And he said it in chapter 20, verse 30. And many other signs truly did Yeshua in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. So there are things that he did that are not written in this book. And if you try to compare Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, try to overlay them, you will find that things that are written in the 12th, 13th, 14th chapter of Matthew, maybe in the second chapter of John, if it's there at all. And so there's a, a better chance of trying to identify the chronology of Matthew, Mark, and Luke than it is to try to identify the chronology of John based on John's own words, not only here, but in John 21, 25. And there are also many other things which should Yeshua did the which if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. And there are those. And I remember when we went through that, you know, the, the wedding at Cana was his first miracle. The wedding at Cana was his first miracle in Cana. 
Was it his actual first miracle? Anyway, John 5, 2. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. The narrative that we're going to be looking at reveals that there were many people with various conditions in this place waiting for the water to be moved. Their faith was in the possible healing from the water. Now, we can read this passage, and I'll tell you one of the things that that stands out for me in the passage is the fact that there were many people sitting by this pool. How many of them got healed? Now, Yeshua is at the pool, right? He's at the pool. (laughs) Seems like that would be a point where everybody at the pool would get healed. Verse three, and these lay a great multitude of impotent folk. And now John describes they were blind, they were halt, they were withered waiting for the movement of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Now, I tell you, I suspect that there may be some tradition here. I can't say for sure. Because to me, you know, if Father, and we know he's in the healing business, if an angel is coming down and stirring the water, why is it only one person at a time can get healed? See, my mind goes in places that causes me to search further, to look at, okay, because something doesn't just add up. Now, you may not have ever thought about that. You just focus on the man who got healed and, and ignore the rest of them that were there and then say, well, if you're a healer, why don't you go to the hospital and heal everybody? Well, you sure went into this area and only one person got healed. What do you say to that? We got to learn how to diffuse a lot of these nonsensical arguments. And the only way you'll be able to diffuse the nonsensical arguments is you know what the scripture actually say. Don't allow cut and paste messages. Don't let the sermons you hear be the only time you get in the book. Don't allow the sermons, the messages that you have been taught guide you through your reading, whereas now you are applying the information you already got to the information is there and sometimes can transpose your information and knowledge into the book. Reading stuff that's not even there. Seeing, but not seeing. Do you think that that was only for that day? that people saw but didn't see. You got people today that read the Bible and don't see what is actually there because they're clouded in their minds by the messages that they've heard. And so even when they read certain things, they already got the answers in their head, so they read right over it, thinking that what they're reading is what is actually said. We don't want to make those mistakes. See, I made these mistakes for a number of years. When I'm pastoring, it's like, okay, Father, why, why you let me pastor in the Baptist, minister in the Baptist church, and then take me to the charismatic Pentecostal church, in the uh, Lutheran church, in the Christian Reformed church, in non-denominations, and prophetic ministries. And in all of these places, be in places of leadership, not just church hopping. 
but in leadership positions, enabled, allowed to, ordain, sanction, to preach to the people of the denomination. After going through the processes of the traditions in order to be cleared and ordained or sanctioned to preach. And then to come into this faith, thinking each time I was in, when I was in the Baptist, I was cool until father said, it's time to go. What do you mean it's time to go? We just got here. And I remember, man, when we went to the first Pentecostal church and, and my wife, it's like the day she cried. It's like, what if, what is this man brought me into? And after a while she loved it, but then we time to go. And some of these places I would have loved to stay, but father was trying to show me something just like, I believe he's trying to show us some things because with each place, my doctrine changed. Now, why is my doctrine changed? The Bible is not changing. It's the same book, but I'm seeing it differently. Why am I seeing it differently? Because what I'm being taught. You say, well, what about now? Well, what I'm trying to do is as we go through these verse by verse studies, as we teach from a biblical context, I can't tell you the amount of letters that we've received, testimonies that we've received of people who are seeing things for the first time. I know what that's like. Because I, too, was seeing things for the first time, hearing them a little different than I, how I had heard them before, changing my beliefs and doctrinal positions because of new revelation because of how things were presented, you see. In verse five, and a certain man was there, which had an infirmity 30 and eight years. Now, I don't know how long he had been by this pool, but I know the Bible says that this thing that he was dealing with, he, he was dealing with it for 38 years. That's a long time. And I don't know how many times the pool got stirred and he didn't get in. But according to him, it happened a while. In verse six says, when Yeshua saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, "Wilt thou be made whole? And I'm thinking, how can he see without conversation with the man that he's been in that situation for a long time? You know, when you have spiritual discernment, you can look at circumstances and you can see things. Now, you may ignore your discernments. You may turn it off. You may try to act like you don't see what's there, but it's there whether you acknowledge it or not. And sometimes by ignoring what you saw come back later to haunt you. It's like, man, I should have listened to my first mind. You see, thankfully, he worked all things together or work all things out together for our good. He could take messes we made and clean them up. <laughs> and I'm so thankful he can do that. 
because, you know, we can get ourselves in some pretty bad messes, but he know how to get us out every, every last one of them and make us better in the process. All we have to do is yield to the process, not your process, his process. But he saw that the man had been there a long time and he says, will you be made whole? Now look at the man's response, as we'll see. By virtue of these people being in that place indicated they wanted to get better because they wouldn't have been there if they hadn't. Have. It was known that this was a place that at times the angel come and stir the water. And if you've got a situation to where you needed healing, then it was known that this would be the place to go. So it's safe to conclude that the people who went there went with the expectation of healing or getting healed. The problem is they put their faith in the pool. Their faith was in getting in first before anybody else. Now I'm going to tell you something. When you have a belief that this is how something's going to happen is a challenge to get you to believe otherwise. Yeshua addressed the man whom he realized had been there a long time, and the man, like the others there, put their faith in getting in the water at the proper time. He said, the impotent man answered him, sir. Now, what was the question? Will you be made whole? In other words, do you want to get healed? What was the response? I have no man when the water is troubled to put me in the pool. Was that a yes or no answer? I mean, it wasn't a yes. It wasn't a no. It was simply, I want to get healed, but I have nobody to get me in the pool to get my healing. Do you want to be healed? Yes. But I've concluded that my healing is going to come there. That was his response by his answer. He says, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I'm coming, and imagine it's like, man, somebody got in there before me. Oh, man, not again. Can you see the disappointments? You know? You pray for healing and somebody else get healed and, and you don't. You pray for deliverance and somebody else get delivered and you ain't got delivered yet. You've been waiting for a long time. After a while, you know, you want to rejoice with people's testimonies. <laughs> you hear testimonies of healing of things that you've been waiting on healings for and, and, and you want to be excited about that. You want to be happy somebody else got healing. You want to be excited for them and rejoice with them while at the same time looking at your circumstance. And so the man is saying, listen, yeah, I want to get in, but, but think about the mentality. Think about this mentality. I want to get in, but while I'm coming, another step is down before me. How do you think he felt about that person getting in there before him? It's just a thought. And this is where I, I would put myself in that situation. How would I feel? And this is where you, we have to be honest with ourselves, brothers and sisters. How would you feel? 
Somebody got that promotion you didn't get. You was hoping for that promotion. Somebody got that job that you trusted and wanted so bad. Somebody got that house that you put a bid in and you just knew that would be the house you would get. And these kinds of things happen in a variety of areas to where I have to be honest with myself. I'm not all that happy for you in certain circumstances, because as far as I'm concerned, you stole my blessing or you took my blessing, you know, now, the fact of the matter is that can't nobody take something that belonged to you. You just have to accept the fact that that wasn't for you. But that's not the easiest thing to do. That requires some maturity. <laughs> that requires having walked this walk a little while. It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> you got to transform. <laughs> Get your spirit right, because <laughs> you ain't happy that happened. I know I haven't been happy that it happened, but in hindsight, I'm glad in some of those situations that it didn't happen. You can't see it at the moment, but in hindsight, it's like, what would have happened if that would have happened? <laughs> and now you're rejoicing. You see, something that you wanted so bad that you didn't get, but you're rejoicing now that you didn't get it when you were not rejoicing when you didn't get it. See, Father, he knows what's best for us and trusting him in circumstances, especially when we know what we want or think we know what's best for us. See, Sarah thought giving Hagar to Abram was what was best for them, only to create a problem for herself. Sometimes, well, the Bible says that a man's ways seem right in his own sight. But we're supposed to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We're supposed to acknowledge him in all our ways. We're supposed to trust him with all of our heart. We're supposed to allow him to direct our path. But when you think you know better, and I got to be honest with you, there are times I wouldn't admit it then, but there are times in my life I thought I knew what was best for me more than what he thought. You ever prayed for him to do something? And see, some people, I'm going to tell you something. Listen to me very carefully. There are people who get mad, fighting mad at the Almighty because he didn't answer a prayer, because he didn't give them what they wanted. How can you get angry when you don't get what you ask for unless you think that's what's best and he didn't give it to you? Is it possible that what you're asking for is not what he believed is best for you? You see, his goodness, he doesn't withhold from his people. He doesn't put on us more than we can bear. He knows what we need even before we ask. 
And just because you ask doesn't necessarily mean that's what's best for you. Are you with me? And so this is why it's important for us to know his word, to know what's best for us, and then to allow him to lead us and be grateful even when we may not get what we ask him for, to be thankful in all things. The Bible tells us that in all things, we should do what? Give thanks. How many of you know we don't give thanks in all things? There's some things that not only do we not give thanks for, but we have real issues with. When the fact is, is that he's trying to train us and teach us and show us things. And we just simply need to yield to the process. So the man, like so many today, looked to other things for their healing or to simply cope with their conditions. They put their faith in medicines or natural medicinal remedies for easing the pain or making them feel better. Because the bottom line is that we want to be better. We want to feel better. We don't want to have to deal with some of the stuff we have to deal with in our bodies. And in the process of waiting on healings, there are times when we look to other things to help us cope with these situations or reason with ourselves that maybe this is how he's going to do my healing. You know, last time I checked the Bible, I, I never found a place in the Bible where father used science or different arenas to do his work. Now, that's not to say he can't because he can work with anything. But the healings and deliverances that I see are miraculous. And I believe, as he said in his word, healing is the children's bread. Healing is the children's bread. I'm still troubled by how one man out of so many received healing and he wasn't even asking. I'm left to conclude that Yeshua is dealing with the matter in order to deal with the greater matter because I don't think the Pharisees or the Sadducees had an issue with the pool. But here's what I do know. In all of the readings that I've read in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, I do not find one incident of one Pharisee or one Sadducee laying hands on one person. I do not find one Sadducee or one Pharisee ministering deliverance to one person. I do not find one Pharisee, one Sadducee, one scribe manifesting the miracles that the disciples of Messiah manifest. And yet the people had a greater fear for these leaders than they did for him. This is why Yeshua was saying, beware, beware, because see, this is bigger than your denomination. This is bigger than the people you're putting your allegiance or giving your allegiance to. You see the, teachings, the leavens that you have been taught will get in the way of me doing my work in you. The people had a religion before Yeshua. 
And the religion they had seemed like it was grounded in the instructions given by the Most High. That was the deception. Yeshua gave the man a command, which the man immediately responded to. Yeshua said unto him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Now, that was the issue. Yeshua did many healings and deliverances on the Sabbath day. The Jewish leaders who were not only not healing, not only not delivering, put restrictions on healing on the Sabbath. Mark 3, 1. And he entered again, Yeshua, into the synagogue, and there was a man there with, which had a withered hand, and they watched him. Who is they? The religious leaders are watching Yeshua, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day. They were more concerned on catching him than the man, that they might accuse him. And he said unto the man, which had the withered hand, stand forth. And he said unto them, is it lawful? So he says to the man, stand forth. So now I want you to picture it. He know they're watching him, trying to catch him to accuse him. But he's got a man in a situation that he's going to say, stand fast. So he's, he talks to the man and then he directs his attention to them. And he said unto them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days? Now notice what he says on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill. But they didn't have an answer. They held their peace. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, he's angry at them being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. And here's the real issue. See, religion will harden people's heart. It's hard to teach somebody who think they already know. And I remember so many times as, as I'm going from one denomination to another, I remember this conversation having with Father. Father, it looks like I'm confused. People are looking at me like I'm confused, like, like I'm just, just going from one place to another. That's how it looked to me. If you see a person and they're going, this year they're in one denomination. Year after that, two years later, they're in a different denomination. A couple of years later, they're in a different denomination. I mean, what would be your thought of that person? I would call them church hoppers. That's what I would call them. I would call them a person who doesn't know what they're looking for. Because that's what I was saying about myself. I didn't know what I was looking for. And it wasn't until much later I read that Abraham, when father told him to leave his father's house and his kinfolks in his country to go to a place that he was going to show him, Abraham didn't know what he was looking for when he left. All he knew is that he heard a voice that he couldn't identify and only found out later it was the most high he was talking to revealed to him by Melchizedek after he had went and delivered his brother, his nephew Lot from the kings who had came in and took him captive. Abraham didn't know what he was looking for, but he knew the voice of the one who spoke to him. 
And this is key, brothers and sisters, because mama and daddy can't teach you this. The pastors and the preachers can't teach you this. The denominations can't teach you this. This is a relationship. This is something that is going to come from discovering and knowing how to hear his voice. Knowing what he sounds like when he speaks. And so he's looking at these religious leaders who are responsible for the people and he's grieved at them for the simple fact that not only is the person not being healed, not only is the person not being cared for and looked after, they're more concerned about trying to catch him up than people being healed and delivered and set free from the things that have them in bondage. And so he said to the man, stretch forth your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians <laughs> against him. So now here's where religion and government comes together, figuring out how they're going to get rid of him, figuring out how to stop him. The Herodians weren't religious people per se, because if you look at the history of the Herodians, starting from Herod the Great, Herod the great wanted the male children two years old and under destroyed. What kind of faith person do that? Because he was more concerned about his kingdom, his kingship, and feeling threatened by a prophetic statement about a king. Ain't no king going to take my throne. But if that wasn't enough, there was a fellow by the name of John and there was a different Herod who was afraid of John and he had his head cut off because he wanted to watch his wife's daughter dance seductively. What kind of religious man is that? Dance for me, baby. Well, I will, but you need to do something for me. I'll give you up to half of my kingdom if you dance for me. And as a result, wanted the head of the greatest prophet that ever lived cut off. What kind of religious person is that? If that wasn't enough, we go up to Acts chapter 12 and we find there's another Herod who decide that he's going to have Peter arrested after he's had James killed. What kind of religious person is that? And this was done during the feast. And so here it is, the Pharisees, the religious leaders are taking counsel with the Herodians on how they might destroy Messiah. And let me tell you something. Not only did the religion and government get together to destroy, uh, figure out how to destroy Messiah, which he came, they thought their plan worked. They didn't know that he had a plan for them and used their own plan to get his plan accomplished. The Bible says if they had known, See, religious people do dumb stuff to further their cause, only to find out that the cause that they're furthering is to their own demise. That's why we can't be led by religion. We have to be led by the Spirit. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, it is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. Now, you and I think of bed. We can see this man carry this big, big bed around. But it was a mat. It was something you can roll up and put under one's arm. And they said, it is not lawful for thee to carry 
your bed. There was no law restricting carrying of a mat on the Sabbath. You can look throughout everything Moses taught and you will not find a law restricting carrying a mat. The religious leaders made up laws to hold people to based on their traditions, which they taught as commandments. In Mark chapter seven, we see this. If you read from five down, then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why walk not thy disciples according to the traditions of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands. See, there are people today who believe that cleanliness is next to godliness. And, and I just imagine, you know, the children in the wilderness. <laughs> yep. Every time they got ready to eat, where is the fountain? Where is the the sink? Where is the the well? You deal with people who are living in the wilderness. You know, it's not about washing hands. It's not about being clean all the time. You can go and deal with people who probably don't take showers every day. You know, some of us, when we're in a hurry, called bird bath. Get that, that rag and just wipe underneath the arm. <laughs> Some of us, as religious as we are, is, is, is not upholding the standard of cleanliness. And yet we're godly, or at least claim to be. Pick something up off the ground and eat it. Well, it's in my own house. Is on my own floor. I clean the floor. Yeah, but you've been walking around on the floor for how long? In the shoes you came from outside in. But then there's a, what, three-second rule? <laughs> it's five seconds. Oh, y'all got five seconds. <laughs> like, how long does it take for a gerb to hit, the, to hit it? Anyway, I digress. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why not? Why walk not? Verse six, he answered and said unto them, well, had Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, it is written, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You know, religious people like that. They talk a good talk, but their walk is a little bit different. They say the right things. They may look the right way. They apply what they know according to how they understand it. I remember as a Baptist and I, I struggled with some things, especially when it came down to my, my upbringing is you give an instruction and you tell how being in the military, you tell you do this and you are supposed to really know because you've been trained, you're not given orders in an area where you're not necessarily trained in. And when it comes down to faith, when I came into the church, I had a lot of questions. I knew how to live like a worldly person, but I didn't always know how to live like a worldly person. You know how your environments, you have to adapt to your environments. You go to this environment, you have to adapt or you look like the odd person out. And so if you go to bars, if you go to, different outings or whatever. You don't, you don't go on a picnic dressed in a suit, you know, go to a party at somebody's house where they're going to be barbecuing and, and you're overdressed. I've been overdressed a lot of times in places that I've gone 
because the instructions on how to dress wasn't necessarily given. I'm saying all this to say when I came into the church, I heard a lot of stuff. Husband, love your wife like Christ loved the church. It's like, okay, sounds good. How do you do that? Where is the instructions on that? What does that look like? How do you love your, well, you know, well, he gave his life. Okay, so I'll take a bullet. I'll jump in front of somebody if they try to harm her. I'll fight off. But what if it's got nothing to do with that and you're simply trying to dwell in the same house? See, she came with some rules. You just didn't know the rules. You came with some rules. She didn't know the rules. And now y'all got some clashing. Because the rules are clashing. Well, that's not how I was brought up. That's not how I was raised. That's not what I was thinking. It's like, okay, so now we got to figure this thing out because now we're, we're in love, but we're at each other's throat or we, we're in our neutral corners. And some people don't get it figured out. <laughs> I've been at this for 38 years and I'm still trying to figure some stuff out. Seriously. And I can tell you, I've shared, I've, I've wanted out. I've tried to get out. I've put out. And after all these years, we're still trying to figure it out. I'm just being honest with you. Learning how to walk this thing out when you have two people that are so different. It's like, okay, you don't have hardly nothing in common. What happened? How'd y'all get together? You see. So I come up with this idea, you know, where the two shall become one. It's like, okay, which one do we become? Because it's hard to become one when two have individual identities. <laughs> well, I'm not going to die for you. It's bad enough living with you. <laughs> Now, I know this is not everybody. I'm just, this is my plight. I'm testifying today. You may have a whole different testimony. Father, bless your testimony. Hallelujah. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts far from me. How be it in vain do they worship me? How be it in vain do they worship me? You know, when I sat and let that sink in, you got People who are worshiping and they're fervent about their worship, but their worship is in vain. Why? For they are teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. Now, some people will say, well, what they're teaching is the commandments of Moses. The commandments of Moses was not the commandments of men. The commandments that Moses presented to the people were the commandments that Jehovah gave him. Moses didn't write those commandments by himself. He scribed. The Almighty spoke. Moses wrote. Moses didn't go in a corner somewhere in the tabernacle and decide, okay, how can I manipulate and control these people? How can I get these people to do what I want to do? Okay, I need to come up with a religious, okay, I got to deal with this, this, and this. No, Moses didn't do that. Father gave Moses everything Moses wrote and put it in the word. And this is why James could talk about the perfect law. But what was the people teaching? Yeshua says your worship is in vain because you're teaching for doctrines. 
the commandments of men. But then he goes as far as to say, where you lay aside the commandment of Elohim. You're teaching commandments, but you're laying aside the commandments of Elohim. So whose commandments are you teaching? The commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of Elohim, you hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things you do. And he said unto them, full well, you reject the commandments. See, and when, I, when I'm looking at this now, I, I'm understanding when John was sent by the Almighty, he wasn't sent to Gentiles, he was sent to the Jews. John was sent to Israel. And what was John's message? Repent. What would the children of Israel need to repent from? Sin. What was their sin? They had abandoned the law. They were following the traditions and commandments of men. You see, what the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and even Herod was teaching was man-made laws, traditional laws, passed down from the elders, not the commandments of Jehovah. But when people see these laws, they think, okay, that was the law of Moses. And we're no longer held to the law of Moses as if they belong to Moses. For Moses said, honor your father. Notice he says, and he said unto them, full well you reject the commandments of Elohim that you may keep your own tradition. And then he gives them an, uh, uh, an example. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whosoever curses father or mother, let him die the death. Where is that found? Exodus 20, 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which Jehovah your Elohim giveth thee. Exodus 21, 17. And he that curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. These are the things that came to Moses from Jehovah. Moses didn't come up with this stuff. And now the religious leaders, they've come away around it. They're writing. But if you say, if a man shall say to his father or his or mother, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. In other words, they found a way to get around the commandments of Jehovah by instituting their own commandments. Yeah, mom, dad, I would have given you this, but I'm giving it into the kingdom. I'm giving it to Jehovah. He said, give it to them, but you're going to turn around and give it to him and who was the recipients of what they gave to him? Who were the recipients? So they were given to themselves. He says, whatever may be a prophet, he shall be free. And you suffer him no more to do aught for his father and mother, making the word of Elohim of none effect through your tradition, which you have delivered and many such like things do you. John 5, 11, back to John. He answered them, he that made me whole, the same said unto me, take my bed and walk. So now the Pharisees are confronting this man. Then answered they him, what man is that which said unto thee, take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed was not who it was, for Yeshua had conveyed himself away. A multitude being in that place, a lot of people he was plenty of folks to mingle among. Afterwards, Yeshua founded him in the temple and said unto him, behold, thou art made whole sin. No more sin. No more. What sin had the man committed? See, if you, if you look at the context and I, I wish I had more time, but I'm going to bring this to a close. You see, 
The people feared being put out of the synagogues. They feared the religious leaders. They feared the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Why? Because these are the people that stood in the place of Moses. These were the people that were the leadership. It's like, okay, there's the almighty, but here are these people that have been put between us and the almighty. And so however we deal with them is going to be looked upon by the almighty. And so their fear was in the religious leaders and being put out of the synagogue, being put out of the church, being excommunicated. So they had to do what they say. And that was a concern for people. And so what was the man's sin? The man here, he was afraid. Then asked they, who is the they? The ones who had the authority to tell him, you're, you're breaking the law. What man is that which said, oh, somebody told you to do this? Who? Point him out. And the man, he says, I don't know where he's at. I can't see him. So Yeshua finds him. I mean, when you see this playing out and being aware of what's going on, Yeshua shows himself to the man, identify himself to the man so that he can tell the people who said, who did it? Afterwards, Yeshua findeth him in the temple and said unto him, behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. And what did the man do? He ran straight to the Jews. Now he told him, don't sin. In other words, he's going to take the man that has brought forth the healing to his body and sell him out. He's going to sell him out. Oh, I know who did it. That's the man who healed me. Do you think the man knew the intent of the Pharisees, the religious leaders who are questioning him who did it? Of course he knows. Because they're afraid. Yeshua says, Go and sin no more. I can interpret this. Now, in my mind, it's like, don't tell on me. I'm here for your benefit. Why would you point me out to the people that wants to do me harm? Where's your thankfulness? Where's your gratitude for what has happened here? But the man ran and and departed and told the Jews that it was Yeshua which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Yeshua and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. I can tell you, I really believe this man knew what was the intent of these folks simply by virtue that they had confronted him. And he's the only one who's been healed, which leads me to the conclusion that Yeshua is literally dealing with a greater issue than simply the healing of a man because everybody at that pool could have been healed that day. But one of the things that has already been pointed out, if you think your blessing is going to come one way and Father is trying to come another way, there's a good chance you'll miss him. There's a very good chance you'll miss him. I remember, you know, and I I just reflect back on my life and I I look at the downs and the ups and the downs and I try to assess the circumstances 
before coming into the church, it was not hard to assess the circumstances and the outcomes. In fact, at the time, I considered myself lucky because I know I should have been, some of the situations I was in, I should have been dead. I know this. I mean, when you're, when you're jumping out of windows because there's a raid and, and people dying, you know, around you and you in places and you, you left right before something went down or, you know, I can tell some stories and people today who see me doing what I'm doing, find it even yet difficult to think that from where I came from, I'm doing the things that I'm doing. And so in my, in my former life, it's not a problem for me to look at the outcome of certain things and conclude, this is why that happened. This is why that happened. But when I come into the faith and things still happen, it's a little bit more challenging to figure out why. And I remember before father told me to come, told us to come to Charlotte. I mean, I got ministry in, in Michigan. Houses, building, relationships, and to leave all that to come to here and know nobody. And then to be in positions is like, I don't know how we're going to get past this or how we're going to get beyond this. And it took me, it took me years of walking with the Almighty to finally get to a place to where I could actually stop worrying. Worry, worry, worry. Anticipating problems that hasn't, hasn't happened because you can see things formulating. You can see circumstances happening. And of course, the way my mind worked, I was taught to always think the worst and hope for the best. So I'm always playing out the worst case scenario, trying to figure out how to maneuver around this issue and maneuver around that issue. All the while trying to raise children and, and lead a family and care for a family and, and love a wife and deal with, you know, eight children who all had their own personality and, you know, all wanted to go in different directions and do different things. And it's like, man, trying to figure all that stuff out. And father time and time and time again had to console. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Years and years and years of worrying. That's all I knew to do was worry. How do you go from worrying to not worrying? Even seeing all of the things he has done, watching him deliver us through this and deliver us through this and, and that circumstance and that circumstance and that circumstance, just watching deliverance and miracles and more deliverance and coming through and making ways out of no ways and seeing all of that. And I got the nerve to be sitting somewhere worrying, but it didn't stop me from worrying. And it's only been in the last, you know, I've been doing this, I've been doing ministry since 
Whew. Since 92. But it's only been the last two, three years that I've stopped worrying like I used to worry. But I catch myself relapsing from time to time. Because the circumstance gets, it looks big. It looks, I don't know how I'm going to get past this. And I forgot about all the other times the circumstance looked big and I didn't know how I was going to get past. And then when I stop and think about it, some of them was much bigger than this. But all of a sudden that thing becomes big, even to the point to where it's bigger than him. You see. So now they're trying to figure out how to destroy Yeshua. And all the while, Yeshua knows these things are happening. But Yeshua answered them, my father worketh here unto, and I work. Now, Yeshua said in a few places, Matthew 12, at that time, Yeshua went on the Sabbath day through the corn and his disciples were with him. They were hungry and began to pluck the ears of corn to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, behold, thy disciples do what is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. What, to eat? Well, see, it wasn't the eating, it was the plucking. They were plucking corns, but were they harvesting? See, it was not lawful for them to harvest because harvest includes work. But basically, think about it this way. It's the Sabbath day, you have no food, you're hungry, you got a garden. There's some tomatoes on the vine if you grow tomatoes or cucumbers, or some vegetable that seems to be ripe, or there's some fruit trees, and you go out and you pluck one and you eat it. There's some people who think that's work. Well, if that's work, brothers and sisters, picking up that fork and picking and that knife, I don't care if your sandwich was cold and you didn't use the microwave, if you lifted it up to your mouth, that's work. If you consider that work, because basically what they were doing was simply eating. So why are they doing that which is not lawful? But he said unto them, have you not read? Don't you know what the words say? Because if they had read, they would have known. But they weren't interested in what was written. Because what they were doing was not written. Have you not read when he was hungry, David, and they that were with him, how he entered into the house of Elohim and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat? Neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Where is that at? Numbers 28, 9. And on the Sabbath day, two lambs of the first year without spot and two tenth deals of flour for a meat offering mingled with oil and the drink offering. This is the burnt offering of every Sabbath. The priests work on the Sabbath day. In addition to the, besides the continual burnt offering and his drink offering, the priests were permitted to work the work of Jehovah on the Sabbath day. This was not ordinary work. You'll find that there's certain days you're not to do any ordinary work. But this work was the work of Jehovah. Verse 19, John 7, did not Moses give you the law and yet none of you keep the law? Why go you about to kill me? The people answered and said, thou hast the devil who goeth about to kill thee. Yeshua answered and said unto them, I've done one work and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And you on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. 
If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry at me because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? See, this is hypocritical. Healing on the Sabbath days were lawful. Why? Because Jehovah who healed. See, man does not heal. It's the Almighty who's using men. So who's doing the healing? Jehovah. Who's he using? Man. So they're accusing Yeshua of violating the Sabbath because he's healing. Jehovah who healed is doing the healing and therefore he's working. Jehovah working through a person causes a person Jehovah is using to do work. Therefore, those doing Jehovah's work on the Sabbath days were lawful. Preaching, teaching, ministering, serving, service work, serving others in the capacity of ministry on the Sabbath days are lawful. John 5, 18, therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath. Did he break the Sabbath? No, but it's written like he broke the Sabbath. Whose, whose law did he break? He broke their laws, not his law. But said also that Elohim was his father, making himself equal with Elohim. Listen, brothers, if he's my father, that makes me his child. He is my father. I'm his son. Yeshua is saying he's my father. Oh, now you're equal. Well, in the sense, because children represent their parents. Any parent out there, any child out there who've got old school parents, you'll know that your parents told you when you left the house who you represent. Don't be out there making me look bad. Now, everybody know you my child, so you better behave yourself. You better conduct yourself because if you don't conduct yourself, it's going to get back to me. Why? Because you represent me. We represent him. How people see us determine what they think about him if we are supposed to be his. So whatever you do as a believer is going to reflect on him, your father, because you claim to be his representative. And this is what Yeshua is dealing with. Yeshua is Lord of the Sabbath and that he is our high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Yeshua didn't come from the Levitical line. He came from the line of Judah, but he was also ordained a high priest after the order of Melchizedek by whom? And what order are we? This is why John could write, we are priests and kings. Why? Because Melchizedek was a priest king. We have been called to be a kingdom of priests. So was Israel. But Israel didn't heed the call, so Father chose Levi. But the order of Melchizedek existed before there was a Levite. I'm done almost. To say that Yeshua is our Sabbath or my Sabbath or every day is a Sabbath is not found in the Bible. You'll find that in church teachings. You'll find that in denominational beliefs. You'll find that in books people write, well, Jesus is my Sabbath. Well, every day is a Sabbath. It's like, okay, show me that in the Bible. You'll be hard-pressed to find it. You got to cut, paste, twist, and mix a whole bunch of scriptures to get that conclusion. To say that is not found in the Bible because it is a man-made law 
or law made up by men. Sin is transgression of Jehovah's law. Transgression is iniquity. Yeshua made some scathing statements, and I've got four of these, and I'm closed, about transgression of the law of sin. If you look up the word transgression and you look up the word sin, you'll find that it's anomia. Sin is a transgression of the law. Transgression is sin. This is what John writes. And Yeshua said these words, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work transgression, you that work iniquity, you that work lawlessness. That's what the word says. Matthew 13, 41, the son of man shall send forth his angels and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity. In other words, them who do not keep the law. I'm not making this stuff up. You look it up. You got your Bible tools. At least you should. Matthew 23, 28. Even so you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Lawlessness. Matthew 24, 12. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Who defines love? What does it mean to love Elohim with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength? What does that look like? What does it mean to love my neighbor as myself? What does that look like? Who defined that? The world? Or the one who gave the instruction? See, if I love my neighbor like I love myself, I'm going to treat my neighbor like I treat me. If I love Jehovah with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength, what that means is that I don't love my wife with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I love my wife, but I don't love her with all my heart. I can't because that would be to exalt her before him. If I'm to love him with all of my heart, how can I love something else with all of my heart? That's a reality. I didn't make this stuff up. So I can't love my wife with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I can't love my children with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I can't love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I can't love my dog with all my soul, heart, mind, and strength. I can only love one like that. And everything else is secondary. Now, the way the father established it, him, which is our first covenant, and typically the only other covenant we make in life is the covenant we make as a husband and wife. That's the only other covenant. It's him and then that. Our children are ours first season. Our job is to train them, to teach them, so that when they leave, hopefully they will retain what you have trained and taught them if you've done your job. Because what they do out there is going to be a reflection of what they learned under your tutelage. And it's not my job to give them all this stuff, what Spock and all the other people say. My job is to give them what he gave me to give them. Why? Because in the end, he's the one they will have to give an account to. And any parent, and I'm, I'm so thankful, I am so thankful, I am utterly thankful, even though I may not be understood by many, I'm so thankful that I have the opportunity to make amends 
for some of the stuff that I taught that I've come to realize was part truth. I didn't raise my children up in the Sabbath. Came about it later on in life. I wasn't brought up in the Sabbath. I taught them what I, what I learned. But now I've learned something different. And what I learn and know aligns with what is written. A lot of the stuff that I was teaching as a Baptist, Pentecostal, Christian Reform, Lutheran, Charismatic was the stuff that I was being taught. That's what I was teaching, what I was being taught. And I'm going to tell you, any man, woman who is sincere about their walk, we say stuff that sounds spiritual that we know we can't find in the Bible. We know it ain't there, but it sounds good, sounds right, and others are saying it. And so because they're saying it, it must be right, right? But when it comes down to what is written, what I found is that men have a tendency to exalt man-made laws above the law of Jehovah, where driving over the speed limit becomes a sin, where cheating on your taxes become a sin. Is cheating on your taxes a sin? You could say, well, you know, you're lying. And lying is a sin, but render unto Caesar what Caesar and not give what Caesar is Caesar, but there was no Caesar in the Torah. So I hope that these things that I've presented to you today will hopefully cause you to, to think a little deeper. I'm gonna bring this to a close, and I did get all of them out. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.